good afternoon. You've got Living Writers on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel, and today I'm so happy to have Jay Ryan Straddle here in the studio. It's great to be here. And Love it. <laughs> with on, you are on your, your big your book tour, yeah. part one. How did that happen? Because uh, <laughs> yeah. you wrote a damn good book, oh, Jay Ryan. Um, Kitchens of the Great Midwest, um, out with um, uh, Viking, uh, the Pamela Dorman books. I was yeah. kind of interested. I was like, she must be maybe a real... Did you meet Pam, Mama? Oh, yeah, she's wonderful. <laughs> I didn't want to go be too informal. Did you meet Pam? <laughs> uh, yeah, I did. Yeah, she's yeah, she's great. Yeah. So yeah, she... that's uh, awe-inspiring. Yeah, and she loved your book, chose it, and mm-hmm. it's it's now it's like a big book of summer. Everyone's like it's ravenous pretty, for this. It's pretty weird. Yeah, <laughs> and you're on a book tour right now. Yeah, yeah, that's just been, coming from Petoskey. Yeah, I just drove down from Petoskey today. Yeah, Petoskey's in my book, and I hadn't been there yet. That was a little awkward. So but, how did that? Yeah, yeah, how did you know to plunk? I actually I did wanted, circle that somewhere. Yeah. There. Oh, I I'd always wanted to go to that area. Uh, Petoskey, Charlevoix, uh, like uh, Tra- uh, Traverse, Traverse City. City, yeah, that area. Uh, and I was interested in Michigan wine country, and I knew when my character was returning to the Midwest, I Cindy. wanted to. Yes, <laughs> yeah. When Cindy returns to the Midwest, I wanted to settle her in a Midwestern wine region, and I chose Michigan. Ah, uh... yeah. It seemed most interesting to me. I didn't know it was the one I knew the least about, so it's the one I wanted to learn about. Yeah. Every so often, I think a writer has an aspirational setting. They they set a book or a chapter somewhere where they want to go or they want to learn more about. And that was certainly the case with me in Petoskey. I set a chapter there because I wanted to learn more about it and to go there. When you were there, Jay Ryan, did anyone give you one of the stones? Yes. Yes, I have Petoskey stone in my pocket right now. It's like a talisman, right? It's great. Like a lucky... Yeah. Yeah, very yeah, very lucky. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, I'm thrilled. And yeah, I didn't even know about the Petoskey stones, but I'm I'm so thrilled to know about them now. And did when the person gave it to you, did they give like did they bring some sort of liquid so they could show you what happens with the stone? No. That I don't know. Do you really Do I still have it in my pocket? Maybe I moved it to my bag. Because we've Oh got, no, I've got it. You've got it? Yeah. Because if you actually Oh wow. <laughs> so Oh, wait, it's shiny yeah, see, already. It yeah, oh, oh, yeah, they already... Oh, they, they polished it. They put half of it on a rock tumbler, kind of. It's got one of those, yeah. So you can see the actual... Because yeah. sometimes if it's not um, in the rock tumbler, as you say, you don't know that the stone has this patterns until mm. the water wa- washes it over it, and then you're like, ah, magic. <laughs> Do you know the geologic miracle behind this stone? Any idea? No, and I should, since yeah. wondering at it, I should try to... Is anyone out there? <laughs> well, well, my dad has a degree in geology. He could, he oh. could probably clue me in, but I'll well, bring this to him. It's too bad we couldn't pipe him in on the, yeah. phone, on the phone right now. <laughs> oh, he, he, this is your life, Jay Ryan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, he'd be he'd be happy to explain it. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe you can fill us in later right. down the road. Yeah. Um, Part two, next book tour. Okay, yeah. <laughs> paperback. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so today we're talking um, with I'm talking with Jay Ryan Straddle, Kitchens of the Great Midwest, um, and I'll just read the short bio before we get too far, and then we can fill in some of the pieces here too. Jay Ryan, Jay Ryan Straddle edits the fiction section of The Nervous Breakdown, and works as an acquisitions editor at Unnamed Press. Born and raised in Minnesota, he now lives in Los Angeles. This is his first book. So you've got a lot 
a lot of bio stuff that you you left out of this. Yeah, I did. I L- kept it short. A little short and sweet. Mm-hmm. Charmer. Um, what is the thing? That, <laughs> what's one of the things that you had in but you took out? Oh wow. Well, I didn't have much that I took out. That's what I submitted. Okay. Um, but I guess there were things I could have had in there. Uh, one thing I really like doing in LA is. Uh, volunteering for and working at uh, 826 LA. And Wonderful. it's my understanding there's an 826 branch here in Ann just, Arbor. Just on Liberty Street. I have yet to go to it. What's Is there a store? And if so, what's the theme? It's robots. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and um, in LA, what is it? Because in San Francisco, it's pirates, yeah. right? What's LA? Time travel. Ah. Uh, the time travel mart. Also Fascinating. Awesome. So, <laughs> so things you will need in other time periods uh, and um, everything from... Ways to be inconspicuous, like Viking odorant, so you can, so the Vikings won't <laughs> sniff you Vikings. out. Exactly, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And maybe getting you used to t- eating lutefisk. Yeah, yeah, oh, or yeah. so. Or, Absolutely. Which we'll have to definitely we'll have to talk more about today. Mm-hmm. I hope. Yeah, absolutely. If you don't mind. I'm happy but, to talk so about. you, so you're volunteering, volunteering at eight two six. Yeah. I mean, Are you teaching like some writing classes or hanging oh, yeah. out with the kids or some of both? I taught a uh, middle school. Uh, fiction class this year, usually at least twice a year. I teach a class where I have uh, third and fourth graders invent a country from scratch, draw the map, write the laws, design the flag. That's wonderful. Uh, I've never seen the same country twice, but I do see a lot of patterns. Oh, Uh, what are some of those? (laughs) They tend to, third graders tend to severely curtail the civil liberties of their parents and siblings. Ah. And they tend to deify their pets uh pets get a lot of square footage and sometimes even their own island and sometimes there's a lot of pets sometimes there's a pet to human ratio that's really skewed like a million to one you know i have a million dogs so many pets yeah Yeah. too many pets (laughs) and other times um there's rivers of chocolate and you know that kind of thing there's a, a very kind of willy wonka aspect to it whether or not they're aware of willy wonka i do find that that impulse of Living in an edible world naturally occurs to a lot of children. And that age, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I worked with some third graders in Inside Out in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, too, created a world for a sock puppet play. Oh. And they also had, in part of the world, a river of chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's because some of the Michigan rivers kind of look oh. like that, too, <laughs> a little bit. But yeah. <laughs> at any rate. So, but 826 yeah. is one of the... the things near and dear to your heart yeah i spent a lot of time there you're a good guy jay ryan try to be i try to just stay out of everyone's way (laughs) how did you decide to go to la how did i stay how did i end up in la oh i decided to work in the entertainment industry Mm -hmm. i thought that sounded fun Um, because you grew up in north dakota right oh i was uh, my mom's family's from there i grew up in a small town in minnesota called hastings Uh, and oh, you're going to the library there yes. later on this tour. Okay. Yeah, in October. I think it's Thursday, October 8th. Uh, it's it's, a, it's um, a Thursday in October um, early. Um, <laughs> I, I don't remember the exact <laughs> date. Okay. But yeah, I'll be reading at the Pleasant Hill Library, and I'm thrilled about that. Reading the in my Pleasant hometown. Pleasant Hill? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's just, as pleasant as a hill can be. It's full of books. Is there a chocolate river next to it? <laughs> Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Let me talk to some civil engineers and see what we can cook up. Um, but might, but, but yeah. you would, oh, sorry. Go oh, ahead. No, I, I'm really looking forward to it. I think I'll see a lot of familiar faces there. Uh, my, 
elementary school librarian came to my reading in Edina last week. And it was so moving. I hadn't seen her since I was in elementary school. Pat Schultz is her name. She's the sort of adult, the sort of concerned adult that changes a child's life. She changed mine by just sort of identifying like, well, here's a dreamy, imaginative little kid who's kind of like out of his element amongst the other second graders. And I'm going to set him up in the library and give him special projects to do to keep his brain working. And frankly, I might have atrophied or tried too hard to fit in and lost everything that was interesting and fun about me as a little kid if, if uh, like a concerned adult hadn't discerned that, oh, wow, he's got a funny little imagination. Let's put it to work rather than let's you know, ignore it or let's homogenize him. Yeah, he should definitely be in a team sport right now. Exactly. Yeah, yeah right, right. That skinny, uncoordinated little kid needs to get beat up by, you know, in sanctioned competition. Um, if you don't mind me asking, did you tell her you were coming to town or did she just come? And she came. I think she her. found out from one of the other people coming up from Hastings. Yeah, I didn't know how to reach her. I had no way of knowing where she was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're not connected on Facebook or anything. So she just came and that meant, meant the world to me. Huh. Yeah, and there are and other teachers uh, that touched my life along the way that I hope to see. Um, yeah, starting in grade school on up. And it's one of the things you realize when a book finally comes out is there's one person's name on the cover, but, boy, there's dozens, if not hundreds, of people behind the fact that it exists. And uh, I think about those people every day I pick this book up. Like your grandma? Oh, yeah. And your mom? Grandma's a huge part of this book. I talked to her today. She's upset about the swearing. Uh, she got to chapter three, and I th- she had to put it down. Uh, just too 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 much swearing for her. So I told her to skip to the bars chapter and say like, "Oh, you'll like that one." Right, you can get yeah. through. Yeah, it's it's yeah. completely riddled with swears. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She was also a little bit confused as to who wrote the book because she said some of these chapters don't sound like you. I'm like, well, they're not me; they're my characters. So I think reading a book in close third was a new experience for her. I think she's used to either reading books that are in first person, it's very clearly not the author's voice, or reading, you know, books in a more omniscient voice. Uh, and so reading a book in close third with alternating points of view, I think was, it might, who knows, I'm not sure if it was the first time for her, but at the very least it was a little out of her comfort zone. And how did you decide on structuring the book in this way? Because you, as you oh. say, it's like alternating points of view, yeah. driven by a particular ingredient. In, yeah, in Ava's life, right? Yeah, it? each chapter is uh, centered around a different ingredient. At the point it comes into the main character's life, the main character is a chef, and told from the point of view of the person who intentionally or otherwise introduces her to that ingredient. So I felt, in a way, it's a it's a recipe card with the uh, conclusion being the meal at the end, <laughs> literally and figuratively, uh, where all of the people, well, well, where all of the ingredients and some of the people uh, are featured in the last chapter, and it comes together. Initially, I'd tend to tell it the other way. I'd sat down with the idea of writing about a dinner party and how all these weird people got to this dinner party. You mean starting with a dinner party? Right, or at least bookending it. And I, uh, like a lot of people, like a lot of adults, you know, we've had occasions in life, weddings, funerals, dinner parties, where we find ourselves in a room where we don't know anyone except the host. And you always end up asking the question, how do you know Andrea and Paul, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Andrea and Paul. Yeah. (laughs) They know a lot of folks. They know a lot of folks. And you look around the room like, how did all these people meet Andrea and Paul? Um, Yeah. And um, I I was interested in kind of breaking that apart in terms of how all these people met this chef, Eva Torvald. And initially, I um, 
when, when I began to pursue that, I realized really quickly I was more interested in Eva, the host. So I scrapped that narrative and decided to have the uh, guest tell the story of how they met Eva. And how did you first meet, uh, well, well, meet well, well, Eva? Meet Eva, uh, I'm sorry, chronologically, oh. as opposed to uh, work backwards or use it as a framing device um, and have Eva also assert herself and have a point of view chapter early on. She at gets a, very, a chapter. Yeah, yeah, at a very key moment in her life. So I also rejected the idea of having... Age 11. Like, right. Oh, wait, no. Age 11, exactly. Was it 11? Okay, yeah, sorry. 11. I was she like, I didn't 11. mean to jump in there and then yeah. be completely yeah. wrong. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, you were completely right. Yeah. Yeah, even if you were wrong, it would have been interesting. You know, you had to see how you remembered it. Uh, but yeah, um, 11, yeah, 11 is um, a pretty crucial age for a lot of kids. It was for me. And the kids you're working with at 826 oh, as yeah. well. To me, it's kind of the last moment in a kid's life, at least with a lot of the kids I work with, where they have a real guileless sense of imagination. Starting about 12 or 13, they start getting really concerned about what the kids around them are thinking about them. But up until about age 11 or so, they still seem really fearless in terms of expressing, expressing themselves. And, it, you know, but around that time, it also begins to encroach upon them that, oh, uh, there's um, like transoms of popularity and perception that need to be crossed or at least dealt with. Uh, but yeah, Eva uh, has a very strong personality at age 11. I love that she's the kind of kid who uh, doesn't want to bring like a, a sponge cake or a sheet cake, you know, for her class uh, on her birthday. She wants to bring, as she puts it, vegan blueberry sorbet. Yeah. And which is better than, quote unquote, what those sewer rats deserve. Yeah. She doesn't think much of her classmates and their um, uh, plebeian tastes in food. You know, they're just Even they're a bunch of Doritos munching little twerps. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Practically useless. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Pointless. Yeah. I think I think at one point she says they're not even human. Yeah. Right. And they are pretty mean. They are yeah. I mean the the kids we That's mean. a tough chapter. It is a tough chapter. Yeah, it was tough for me to write. I, I went back and you know, we we're not always around little kids now unless we're parents. And even when we are around them, we don't see how little kids really treat each other when, our, when parents aren't around. In my memory of it is they're really bad. Even my era, I'm not going to dress it up and say, oh, in the 1980s when I was a little kid, kids were much nicer. No, they were terrible. They're probably no less terrible now. But when, when I was a little kid, when I was 10 or 11, I heard the worst, you know, um, I heard stuff I didn't hear again until I started seeing stand-up comedy on the Sunset Strip in terms of the creativity behind how genitalia was expressed in, in swearing. You know, I'm going to stop you there for a second, not because your grandma grandma's listening, but because right, you're going right, to take right. a short break and then we'll be right back. Yeah. Um, today on Living yeah. Writers, sure. J. Ryan Straddle is here. His novel, Kitchens of the Great Midwest. I'm T. Hetzel. We've got the Liz behind the glass. We'll be right back. You get the car, I'll get the night off. You'll get the chance to take the world apart and figure
Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, I'm glad you did. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers today on the program. Jay Ryan Straddle is here. And tonight you will be at Literati at 7 p.m. Yes. So folks, if you're driving home or wandering around listening um, and you're in the Ann Arbor area, get to Literati at 7 p.m. Yeah, it'll be fun and interesting. To see you. Thanks. And you mentioned your 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 friend was going to be there, too, from Hobart. Yeah, Aaron Birch is moderating. I'll be in a discussion with him. He's fantastic. Because yeah. you need to be moderated because you're going to oh, yeah. be, like, yeah. throwing recipes out there. No, you're right, going to be right. doing it. Yeah, yeah a, a, a hot dish might break out. Yeah, someone will bring a can of cream of mushroom soup, and boy, you don't want to see what happens. You know? Magic will happen, Magic. right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. There will be multiple kinds of meat and dairy in the same dish. Yeah, we we won't know whether to call it a hot dish or a salad. It, it depends if it's cold. Yeah, and even that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 It's gonna be. Yeah. Um, I feel like at this moment, before we talk a bit about the the writing, we need to talk a little bit about the Lutheran Church. Oh sure. And the recipe book, yeah. like from 1984. Yeah. Is Let's that the, your Lutheran. mom's or? Uh, yeah, it's my great grandmother's. Yeah, yeah. I pulled many of the recipes or based them on recipes from my great-grandmother's Lutheran church in Hunter, North Dakota, mm-hmm. First Lutheran Church. It's a very small town. And is that, was that an earlier, wait, was that 1969 Food for oh, Thought? Oh, wow. Was that... 1969 Food for Thought <laughs> was the earlier edition, and I only didn't use a lot of recipes from that edition because they say things like, cook until done. You'll or, know. Yeah, right. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like, you don't know how to make this? Shame you, on you. Yeah, you shouldn't even be reading this book. <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. Or feeding people. Exactly. Yeah. You don't know how to make ambrosia salad? <sighs> yeah. So, but the, 1984 had more more specific directions? Yes, yes. Another fun thing about 1969 Food for Thought <laughs> is there were recipes for things like an omelet where eggs wouldn't be listed in the ingredient. And in my grandmother's handwriting, there were like, Four eggs added in, you know, in pen. Yeah. What was Be- the stuff that bound they, it together they must have, then? They must have just thought that, well, they must have just thought it's, oh, oh it's so elementary. Like, of, of course. course you know, we don't even have to put eggs in the. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But my grandmother, being my grandmother, added them and, you know, wrote it into the margins. Like, oh, there, by the way, there are eggs in this. And Ma- it's four. Maybe for the benefit of someone like me who would one day inherit this. Um, and it was four, yeah. It yeah, doesn't plenty. feel like an inheritance when you open up these books. It does. And you see yeah. the handwriting. Yeah, and... this is the food that, you know, fed my parents and fed me. Yeah, uh, well before this um, evolution of um, food consciousness and um, conscience and responsibility and awareness that attends a lot of our food decisions today. Like locavore, yeah, like to be a right. locavore. Absolutely, be... yeah. And so this book is also about not only these great recipes with cream of mushroom yeah. soup, but it's also about this, the rise of this foodie culture, right? right? Jay Ryan is that? Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Yeah. And it, and Eva Torvald, my main character is the, oh, the um, uh, center of that hurricane in this narrative. Um, I mean, well, she's the, she, she typifies that. Um, well, she's got a once-in-a-generation palette, right, right? Is that right. the? Yeah. Yeah. That's what, that's what one of her bosses says. Yeah. I don't know if she does or not, but that's what people believe, so it's true. 
Right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. She is a talented chef. There's no doubt about it. That sounded like a bit of L.A. just coming out of you then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what people Cautious believe. Cautious equivocation. So yes, true. exactly. Well, that's the buzz on her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so for that, um, so you also like from your bio, you could have put in that you do like a, a literary food a food lit wait what is yeah, it food literary, a literary reading culinary series reading series called Hot Dish in Los Angeles. My friend Summer and I started in 2010 when we were leaving a reading and saying, "Boy, that reading went on too long. There wasn't any food. <laughs> there wasn't any drinks. There wasn't anywhere to sit. Uh, there were too many readers. There was no intermission." And then we just kind of looked at each other and said, "I think we have a plan for a reading series where we have all of those things." And you started it off. We started it, yeah. And, and but it is revolving around food. Then. It is. It is comfort food too. Yeah, the first one we served like um, Frito pie, you know, mac and cheese. Uh, we had a school lunch themed one. Perfect. Or, yeah. Did you have that flat pizza with yes, the strange nodules yes, of Yes, we meat? had the flat strange pizza <laughs> with the with the mysterious meat circles. Um, we had the um, mixed vegetables, you know, the right. green beans, peas, carrots, and corn. Kind of colorful. Delicious. Yeah, in kind a, of, right. In right. a mushy way. Exactly. Yeah. How fun. Are you guys still doing that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah we're going to do one again on September 5th. Uh, this one I'm catering. It's it's happening on my birthday, so I'm I'm paying oh. someone else to make the food. Happy early birthday! Thank you. Yeah, it's a month from today. September fifth. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, in Burbank, we're having a At what it, are, party. Are you inviting people to this? Like, could you invite them now, or is this like? A... Yeah, they can contact me and write them. It, it'll be in Burbank, California. But okay. yeah, 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 absolutely. People can come. It's open to the public. So get your road trip gear ready, folks of yeah. Ann Arbor. <laughs> yeah. If you happen to be in uh, Southern California, please come on by. Burbank. Yeah. How fun. Mm -hmm. So you also did the um, a gig with, I guess, well, we started talking about you moving to L.A. for the entertainment industry. Mm -hmm. um, w were you writing for reality TV? Or is there any writing for reality TV? Oh, sure. I, I saw The Bachelorette is yeah. in your yeah. sort of... Yeah, I worked uh, in the first two seasons of that show. Uh, so you were responsible for some of the, the major the melodramas? Right, the narrative arcs, you know, discerning what the story is and what the bites are out of all the footage. Yeah, and as I worked on more documentary-style uh, reality shows and less uh, set-pieced ones, I'm sorry, set-piece-based reality shows like Bachelorette, there's a there's kind of a divide. There's Even the Emmy distincts, the Emmys distinct between, uh, even the Emmys have a distinction there we go. Between the two. Um, it's been a long... You're, you're in the middle of book tour, too. Yeah, yeah. This is, yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. There's a bit of an, uh, an erosion of my um, mental capacities as it relates to my vocabulary in the nah. moment. I'm working on it. But yeah, later on working on shows like Deadliest Catch or Ice Road Truckers, I wrote voiceover as well. Yeah. And so there's writing involved there. But there's also writing in the sense of a narrative arc and discerning one amidst all the footage. And that must be kind of madness really because oh, be. if you have so much footage yes what do you is it something though that once you get practiced at it you can kind of see something yeah. happening and be like pull this out and eventually by the end i could watch an interview tape once and i would know what the last bite was and the first bite was yeah you just get good at it after a while you start to develop a talent for discerning the necessary and that's one that's applicable for fiction let me tell you how so uh especially during editing i'm a the type of writer that overwrites. I'm not particularly precious when I sit down. 
I just want to get it out. I'll and write you, a story and just spill it all out. And writing like every day is that writing part like of your four thousand words like in a weekend or something. But I know somewhere in here there's a good eighteen hundred word you know story or chapter. And so the winnowing is where I discover the story or um, break apart the break out the parts that are uh, redundant or unnecessary. And had you al- always uh, sort of worked like that, Jay Ryan, oh, or yeah. is it something that you found or you sh- honed while you were on? Like writing for reality TV, or I think I've always been like that. I think my early stories were marked by a preponderance of unnecessary characters. For example, if Ooh, I had an a... unnecessary characters. Oh, yeah. For example, if I had a character enter a uh, a ballroom where a party was happening, I would name everyone at the party. Like at one point, uh, uh, the population of a room went on for three pages. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was. That's, it, that's... that's the kind of thing I did in third grade. We're like. You know, Jake and Alana went to a party. At this party, there was Bob Stevenson. <laughs> there was Cliff Fuzzing. There was Rigor Clovis. You know, these are all real people, by the way. So oh. shout outs to all of you. <laughs> Where are they now, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Or they weren't really in your third grade, right? <laughs> oh no! In fact, those are fictional people, but they were fictional names that I would have used around that time. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. writing, I do wonder where Rigor Clovis is. He hasn't shown up in my stories lately. Yeah, he's been dodging my. Uh, there's there's names I use from my childhood, like Jordis P. Snelling was a character was a name that my brother came up with when he was about seven. We were on our way back from a taco stand in Hastings called Chico's Tacos, uh, excellent tacos if you're ever in Hastings. Um, they only appear now in the summer uh, during the antique car show downtown. But anyway, long story short, my brother just said that name. We were just driving past. Uh, the football field. And he said, Jordis P. Snelling. He was like four. <laughs> and I said, oh, that's a cool name. And I started using it. And now it's the name of a major character in and my book. Was yeah. Did that character develop? Is this the person you always imagined? Or when you put the name down oh. in this book, it sort of it transformed into someone else? Jordy. It, yeah, Jordy, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I imagined Jordis P. Snelling as being a little bit more of a dork than he is in my novel. Mm. My novel, he's he's not a guy you trifle with. But he's a nice guy. He's got a big heart. There's a lot of me in Jordy. You know, a lot of me around the time, like like the week after my mom died. That's kind of me as Jordy, in a sense. I wondered about yeah. that. So. Yeah. Like having a sort of inability to emotionally process what's happening and making poor decisions in the wake of that emotional distress and um, sense of being overwhelmed. And also uh, viewing really small pieces of quotidian life as being overly significant. Like I remember, um, I think it was on on the way back from hearing that my mom died and stopping at a subway and having the exact experience Jordy did were thinking, I wonder if the sandwich artist knows that my mom just died, you know, and like looking at them and wondering if they can perceive that. And and a part of you wanting to tell them out of just connecting with uh, another person, but also realizing that this is a just an insignificant moment in their life. They're, you're just another customer to them. And yet you will never forget uh, that particular sandwich artist or this moment. You know, <laughs> It's interesting to me how many times an, an experience like that occurs between two people where one person is having an, an unspoken yet horrifyingly significant moment in their lives and the other person is just having another boring day that is, is um, unmixed and un... Um, differentiated as so many nickels in a pocket. Yeah. 
So yeah, I thought capture that in this chapter. Yeah, I sure tried to. The venison. I sure tried to. That was that one was the hardest to write. I spent six weeks on that one. Yeah. Another chapter I wrote in three days, the Octavia one. That one came out in one sitting and uh well based not not one sitting exactly, but one like one big spurt. And that one was largely unedited. Uh Pam had very few notes in that one. That one is very much as it emerged. Yeah. That one I that one I guess I was just ready to write. <laughs> yeah. She well, she definitely feels like a forceful character. Yeah. Octavia, like biting, too. Octavia was so much fun to write. Like someone who calls everyone else judgmental. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 There's, there's, you know, there's some of me and her, too. Absolutely. There's some of me and all these people. So Octavia was just fun to write in terms of also uh, being at a point of vulnerability as a person uh, socioeconomically <laughs> and sort of understanding the decisions that are coming into your life in socioeconomic terms and in terms of financial risk and thinking about life through that filter when you can start to feel the comforts in your life start to swip, slip away, like after you lose a job and you might get a risky opportunity in a new venture that you don't take uh, because you're afraid to lose more. You're just tired of losing. And um, yeah, and also the uh, <laughs> the circumspection that slows you down and the reckoning that sets in when you realize that oh that would have been a good decision and where i'd be now if i'd chosen the riskier choice uh even when i was at a vulnerable place yeah so yeah i guess ava was a good risk yeah yeah Yeah. ava was a risk worth taking we're yeah. gonna we're gonna take a short break today on the program. J. Ryan Straddle is here. His book "Kitchens of the Great Midwest," your debut novel. Yeah, um, yeah, the best one I've written so far. <laughs> heck, <laughs> <laughs> hell yeah! <laughs> I, look, I was gonna do Midwestern heck. Okay, oh, yeah. all right, we're 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 gonna be right back for more. <laughs> Good afternoon. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. If you're just tuning in, 
really super happy that you did. J. Ryan Straddle is here. And if you're going to go looking for him, you could find him tonight at Literati, 7 p.m. Um, and that was oh, great. Thanks for picking the songs today, oh, yeah. J. Ryan, for pleasure. the show. Yeah, some of the songs are songs that are mentioned in the book. Uh, that one, however, is a Minnesota artist named John Mark Nelson, uh, who I'm really fond of. He's a young, um, young, uh, young musician, and uh, he's really getting out there. I ran into Mike Mills, formerly of REM, about a year ago, and I asked him, who are you listening to? And he said, oh, John Mark Nelson. I'm like, oh, that's great. I love that guy. And um, yeah, I really got into it. I really love that sound. And yeah, just really, really beautifully restrained work. Yeah. Yeah, it was almost... Yeah, that, that was off the debut album of his. Yeah. Um, and music is actually almost just as much a part of this book as food is. Oh, it had to be. I, I feel so great being on a campus radio station right now. I was the general manager of WNUR at Northwestern, and it was the first building I walked into my first day on campus, and the last one I left the last day. I, I knew that's where I would fit in, was the uh, campus radio station. And, um, I, yeah... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Overall, I think my experience at Northwestern being, ended up being a lot more alienating than I thought it would be going in. I mean, I was a lower middle class kid from a small town, and it's a pretty conservative and kind of wealthy school, or at least that's how I perceived it. But then, I, then again, I perceive a lot of things socioeconomically, and it comes through in my writing. Uh, uh, the and, chapter yeah. with um, uh, Ava's yeah. cousin. Yeah, absolutely. Is really I. Yeah. It can feel some of that. Like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she has a lot of like a lot of class rage. Yeah, <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> Not misplaced. No, 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 no. And it was fun to write that. Yeah, but she's also there for a reason. She's talented, you know. And I and I loved that school. I had a great time there. But um, it was really my first time being around people that were really rich. You know, I didn't grow up in a town like that. So I thought a lot about that when I was there and how different that was. And I put some of that into uh, Eva's cousin Brock as well, like her awareness of the new um the new rules you know the new uh widened game board of life as viewed through a socioeconomic filter yeah i mean i remember being picked up on campus once by a kid i just met who was driving a brand new porsche that he either just bought or just been bought for him and i didn't even know anyone in my hometown who had one i think i'd maybe seen one twice by then in life you know that kind of thing and so yeah it's different uh and 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 it just it just kind of yeah recalibrates one's sense of perspective you know and I'll, and I'll positively as well. I mean, I made some friends at college who were from wealthy families who are some of my best friends today. But there were also aspects of uh, the you know the campus culture that I felt were uh, really conservative. An awful lot of people just wanted to work for Arthur Anderson afterwards, and <laughs> and I wasn't one of those people. And so I found my home on South Campus at the radio station. Yeah, and and really got into music and put a lot of the music into uh, to the book into. A character like Will Prager, who is a huge music nut and was a lot like me in high school, where I would append every melodramatic emotional moment in high school with a song. Yeah. <laughs> like Annie Lennox's oh, yeah. Why. Why, exactly. <laughs> and often, like, moment. yeah, the most melodramatic songs, too. Yeah. Yeah. And, would you play it over and over? Oh, yeah. Just put on repeat. Yeah. If I was like feeling, Will. Oh, yeah. If I was feeling sad, I would put on a song that kept me in that zone and put on repeat. And then just like walk around in an oval in my bedroom, just listening to it, just being in the sadness. You didn't still, still do that in college? Oh, yeah, I'm sure I did in college too. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I got in trouble once, yeah, bringing up REM again. Uh, someone was banging on my door saying, Enough country feedback, you know, referring to an exceptionally sad song from the Out of Time album. I had that song on repeat. <laughs> yeah. Like, 
Easy on the country feedback. This woman is Shirley Cheat. Great, great woman. Yeah, but even she was pushed to a uh, breaking point with my uh, melancholy. <laughs> right. Like, my melancholy didn't have to be so loud. Right. Yeah. I think I did that with, I'm like that uh, Depeche Mode song, I'm taking a ride with my best friend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Please, please, please let us get what we want this time. <laughs> um, um, yeah. So, so talk, talking about also um, these characters, you mm. let them go to sad places. You oh, let yeah, big time. Them get arrested. You oh, yeah. let them. Um, even the end of the book, it's like it's not. It's not neat. Like you don't no. know. Um, Can't be. What's gonna What's gonna really happen? No. Um, no. Right. Yeah. Um, so. It seems like you do, like when you're it's talking like a about wedding, it. It's like a wedding cake behind the glass window of a bakery. You don't know who it's for or if it's going to go bad or if someone's going to come in today and buy it. Or yeah. if it's just a prop. Or if it's just a prop, no. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the, thank you for the, the worst, love... most cynical things yes. said today, right? Yeah. Oh, dear. I, Happy I, summer, everybody. And I, and I love window food props, you know? Yeah. If you've ever been to Japan, it's a dreamland of fake oh, food. Yeah. I haven't. Yeah. Is it? Almost every restaurant, or a lot of restaurants, at least of a certain strata, have uh, window displays uh, oh. portraying uh, models of what their dishes look like. Oh, and it's not that... Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're I permanently, of, uh, permanently on display. Like sort of plastic. Or yeah, something. yeah. I see. Maybe some of them do use real food. I don't know. I was only in Okinawa, and there was mostly fake food. But uh, yeah, we'll see. But okay. Yeah. But back to your yeah, characters. Back, yeah. Who now? It's like talking with you, Jay Ryan. It seems like, uh, like y- you're willing to connect to them and say. Will is me in high school has asked not mm. is me in high school. I'm sorry, I don't mean that, but he has, has aspects, aspects of, me. of you, right? Oh, certainly. So with these people, um, when you're writing character, how was it to make like tensions come up for them and like problems oh. and because uh, you know it you was... can't read about all sunshine, right? No, because that's no. not even. Life. It was easy and fun. I forget who said the quote about chasing your character up a tree and throwing stones at them but i felt like i did that a lot i see the cone brothers do that a lot with their characters too and i think that's one reason i like cone brothers movies is they they create likable protagonists and then just you know back them into a corner you know or or just uh chase them around yeah at the very least and take things that they like away from them um and i did some of that with my characters certainly i would create a likable character or, or um for example, the lead character, Lars Thorvald, oh, yeah, Lars, he's yeah. chapter one, yeah. Lutfisk. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then... He's got nothing, and then he has everything, and then you'll, you'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I love that guy. And uh, some people tell me, even after they finish the book, that he's still their favorite character. He's the first character you meet. And uh, he remains uh, a favorite to people even long after he vanishes from the pages. And I, I like that. Yeah, I, I, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm sympathetic to that. I can see why people like Lars, and Eva, to me, had to come from someone like Lars. I think she had to have her mom's ambition, but she had to have her dad's heart. Yeah. So when you were writing this, you said that you had we talked a little bit about structure mm. before. Yeah. Um, how did it? So was Ava the first character that sort of started to form? the story or how and how did Lars get chapter one oh chapter one I wrote really late in the game I wrote chapter one I think third to last 
once I knew what I was setting up. And so I knew what had to happen. You know? You, you, yeah. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Yeah. I sat down with chapter one, knowing what the ending of chapter one would be when I sat down. I mean, it, it's right there in the beginning. It's very subtle. But in the first paragraph, there's a hint of how that chapter ends. Do you want to read that first paragraph? Sure. Yeah. And I know we're being sort of not, yeah, not, yeah totally yeah. cagey. Sorry, everyone out there, but you can go grab a copy of Kitchens of the Great Midwest mm-hmm. and start. Do you yeah. mind? That? Yeah. Lars Torvald loved two women. That was it, he thought in passing, while he sat on the cold concrete steps of his apartment building. Perhaps he would have loved more than two, but it just didn't seem like things were going to work out like that. Okay. Yeah. So there you've got. Yeah. Some yeah. foreshadowing that I yeah. Yeah. did not realize until you just pointed it out, but right. now I see. Right. The first... And the cold steps, too. And the steps. Right, right. The cold steps, exactly. The cold concrete steps. Now everyone's part. totally rolling yeah. their right. eyes at right. us, too, right. Ryan. They're like, okay, <laughs> quit it. Yeah. Not yeah. the Liz and Michelle, because they've read it, so they know. Okay, <laughs> you know? yeah. But yeah. sorry, everyone out there. Anyway, Kitchens of the Great Midwest, you'll yeah. know. this. Lars has got a heart. Yeah, and... yeah. Big time. And he loves he loves the two women in his life. Yeah, and he lives for his baby daughter, Eva. And he really wants to feed her pork shoulder for like two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's even willing to puree it. He'd rather not, but he's willing to puree it. So this, um, yeah, he'd rather not. Yeah. He, um, yeah. Purist, right? Yeah. Um, so this chapter is loot fisk. Yeah. Right? This is the first ingredient that yeah. we meet. You seem to, like, is this one of those things, like you said, Petoskey was like a dream place to visit? Yeah. Do you, it, loot, this seems like you have an intimate knowledge of loot fisk. Is that true, or did you just research this and get it? Like, oh, I had it. Feels as, authentic. <laughs> I had it some as a kid, but after my great grandfather died, it vanished from our Christmas traditions. He was the Norwegian and the enforcer of lutefisk in our mom's side of the family. And it, the enforcer. Yeah, and typically it, it's it's an old Norwegian guy that demands it, you know, or says that it's his favorite thing about Christmas, you know. Um, and so when he died, the, the sorry wind, Jesus, right? The wind, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, 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 Santa. Sorry, Candy Sorry, Candy. Santa. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, the the women of the family were unwilling to impose that upon their lives. I mean, lutefisk is a lifestyle choice. I mean, it's an invasive species of the kitchen. It It smells, it's difficult to make, and people don't really want to eat it. So... <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like, the, tell me what about that is, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and don't people bury it too? I feel like in oh, Seattle, yeah, out so. in Ballard, yeah. they would, that would be part of the process. Traditionally, yeah, they, there, you, there are, yeah, the Nordic cultures have a lot of fish or seafood based traditions that involve buried seafood. And Lutefisk might have initially been buried way back in the day. At the very least, it was meant to be preserved, you know, through the long, bitter months where uh, food was more scarce. Uh, but yeah, I, I sought it out while researching the book. I went back to my uh, home state and uh, found a butcher shop that sold it and bought it and ate it. And so I felt I was able to describe it accurately and not just plumb the depths of my memory for lutefisk details. It's the scene with the butcher where the, um, which care, is it? Um... Lars goes there, yeah. When he goes to buy it at the um, and he's sort of shamed because the guy wants him to buy more. Like, who only buys this much? And he's like, "It's a joke for my brother." I'll admit it here. (laughs) Word for word, lifted from my interaction with the butcher. (laughs) That's exactly what the butcher said. 
So who's in charge at your house? Like no one buys that little Luda, that little amount of lutefisk. It's hardly worth me even getting up to make that chop up that much for you. <laughs> yeah. Like, who's in charge at your house? Make them eat it. You know. I was like, um, probably only two or three people have this. He's like, only two or three. Yeah. He was, What's your problem? He was trying to groom you to be an old Norwegian man. Yes. Yes. <laughs> he wanted you to enforce the tradition. Right. Yeah. So, do you think you're going to bring it out in LA? Like, Lutefisk? Will, yeah. Like, no, will you no. find some for well, your reading series? Or I don't necessarily want to do that to people, <laughs> but maybe I would if they, if there was enough of a enthusiasm for it. If if the people demand it, okay, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> well, you heard it here, folks. Um, today on Living Writers, J. Ryan Straddle is here. His novel, Kitchens of the Great Midwest. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be right back. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, J. Ryan Straddle is here in the studio. His novel, Kitchens of the Great Midwest. Mm -hmm. The Great Midwest, indeed. What do you think of when you think of Midwestern kitchens? Did you grow up here in the Midwest, too? I, I didn't. Oh, where'd you grow up? Um, Maryland and Florida, mostly. Oh, wow. Then what did you have here when, when you uh, realized, I'm in the Midwest, I'm eating something Midwestern? What was it? What what was the first time you had something up here that you thought, that I oh, I, like I haven't this seen this so... where I'm from? Does anything stand I think up? it was something like maybe like a casserole type thing. Oh, sure. With, yeah, like a crunchy top. Yeah, yeah. Those are great. I think that's, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah that's a classic. I, I Yeah, but I don't, I, that's a really good question. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, I almost feel like for me, it was more the people seemed really oh, different because okay. I moved from Seattle and oh, so interesting. had lived there a long time. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, there were, there were people who said to me my first week here, which this, this, um, excuse me for having a personal moment, everyone for a second, but this is, today is my 10 year anniversary with Ann Arbor. Oh yeah. Actually. Congratulations. <laughs> yes. 10 and it's funny yeah. though. It, like the first week, someone said to me, I remember he was like, "Oh, why would I ever leave Michigan?" Because he was kind of surprised that I come. He's like, "I was like, but what, even to go to Toledo or to go to Canada." He's like, "Why would I ever? I've got everything I need right here." Yeah. And I was like, "All right, this mm. is going to be different." Yes. <laughs> you 
know? Yeah. <laughs> and there are some, and I understand Michigan pride more now yes. too. I'm very proud of mm-hmm. Michigan. I think it grows on you in some way. Yeah. But do you miss the Midwest? I do. Is I that miss why the people in particular? Yeah. Great how, people. Yeah. How yeah. so? Like, what are some? Oh of wow, them? there's just a, a warmth and a and a niceness. You know, Minnesota nice is a cliche, but it's a true. It's a. Well, it seems genuine. Of, yeah, right? it is. It is. Like yeah. earnest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So L.A. L.A. Well, L.A. is a real mixture of people from all over. A lot of my best friends in L.A. happen to be from the Midwest and the South. Isn't that weird? Like yeah. you find some transplants, Absolutely, right? Absolutely, yeah. You're, you end up really forming a family of choice uh, with people that are from all over. And sometimes they come and go. L.A. is a, kind of a transient city, like a lot of our larger cities are. And, yeah, you just have these people in your life for as long as they're there and to stay in touch with them when they leave. But when you're sharing Los Angeles with them, you can make L.A. into whatever city you want. It's very easy to avoid the Los Angeles of the Kardashians and so on. I mean, that's a small segment of it, and that's, you know, they've got their part of town or whatever. And uh, it's very easy to avoid that part of um, Los Angeles life. Yeah, I think it's really um, a city with so many choices that you can really make it into what you need it to be. Well, I know the Liz, our engineer, she loves L.A. Oh, good. That sounds like a song, yeah. <laughs> but, well, everyone loves I don't know if she does. She's, yeah, she does. She does? All right. Yeah. 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 Um, do you get yeah, to see the ocean? Oh, oh yeah. Or? When I first moved there, I moved to Venice Beach. Oh, I figured yeah. if I'm going to move to Los Angeles, <laughs> I'm going to do it. And I'm rollerblading. Exactly. I've got some knee pads. Right, right, right. Surfing. I, I actually didn't surf or rollerblade. Volleyball then, surely. Uh, yeah, I played volleyball okay. and paddle tennis. If you know what paddle oh. tennis is, that was a, that was a thing. It is a thing still. Uh, but yeah, I lived, uh, lived on the beach uh, at a building called the Morrison Apartments, which was one of the many buildings that Jim Morrison did not pay rent in that um, lives off of his name <laughs> and shared it with a guy from Milwaukee named Michael Loomis. And Michael and I lived there and wasted an awful lot of time and had a blast. Yeah. I spent my 20s doing a lot of nothing and just enjoying life in Venice Beach. Yeah. And, and also, uh, I think becoming a lot more laid back than I was growing up. I think LA and Venice Beach were good for me in terms of taking, uh, Taking things not so hard, yeah, you know, and, and realizing that hey, hey, you know what, you, um, I've, I, and frankly, I think the sunshine had a lot to do with it. I think being around that much uh, sunshine and warmth uh, was good for my optimism. You know, I think I was more seasonally affected here than I than I thought. Yeah, but that said, I love the Midwest and I and I come back a lot. Yeah, it's good to have both. It is good to have both. Yeah, if I could somehow live in both, I would. Well, who knows? Maybe I can. Maybe you can. Yeah. 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 So, have, so quit dreaming. Start living, kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, dreaming is yeah. part of living, right? Yeah. It's, absolutely. Have your visions. And, mm-hmm. yeah. um, so, so you've always been writing, even from when you were a little kid. It sounds like what yeah. your your elementary school teach uh, librarian Pat mm-hmm. saw in you, yeah. right? Um, yeah, I was very lucky. And and that's really kind of great because it connects to your eight to six, like sort yeah. of maybe your vocation with trying to be an adult that shows. Well, I knew what a difference a concerned adult made in my life, and I thought if I could even do that with one kid, it would be, you know, it would give my life meaning and purpose. I, yeah. So I yeah I think about that a lot, um, but I also feel like 
Hmm. In terms of um, like living in living in California versus the Midwest, um, I don't know. There's a part of me that feels like I I ought to move back. Uh, that I ought to live in the Midwest. I feel like more of a Midwestern writer than a West Coast writer. I don't feel like any part of me wants to write about California. Well, I wonder if you can only write about the Midwest because you're out in California. Like it might sure. be. Oh, sure. Maybe I'd move back. Because you know that oh. phenomenon, right? right? Where you right. write about what you leave. Yeah. Yeah. Because somehow it's more yours. Or mm-hmm. it, in your imagination, it can be more your imagination. Or... Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think you're onto something. Yeah. And I, I've seen that play out in my friends' lives as well. But my initial writing impulses in Minnesota weren't quite so generous. The first thing I did as a young writer, I think when I was four, young writer, when I was a, when I was a crayon wielding, um, imaginative little little nerdy boy, um, I wrote written by Ryan Stradle on the inside of cars and trucks and things that go. I I had a favorite book and I decided yeah. I like this book so much I wrote it. I took credit for it. I felt like, oh, this book's mine. So you it just, wasn't property of of, of Ryan Stradle. It was written by. Written by. <laughs> yep. There it is, folks. You know? If it was Marshall Duchamp at a young age, I guess. <laughs> but I, yeah. But no, my mom quickly disabused me from the practice of of false attribution and said, if you want to write a book Here's a nope. Here's here's notebook? a blank piece of paper. Come up with the words yourself. Yeah, and gave me notebooks and spurred me uh, uh, with prompts and stuff to help me think of stories rather than just write my name on someone else's story. Right. Yeah. So that's, is that why she was such a great influence on you as like who you became as a writer? I think so, yeah. I mean, she was, very, she was a very active participant in uh, my, crea- my creative life and very uh, affirming and also created a lot of space for me. I was the kind of kid who was perfectly content being alone for long periods of time and just in my room doing research projects and writing weird little stories and cartoons and stuff. So I felt like um, the best thing for me a lot of the times was just being left alone so I could do my do my work. And um, yeah, she did that. But I also needed to go to the library a lot to check out books I needed for my projects. I was really into U.S. presidents for a while and Greek mythology and I needed books from university libraries and the Twin Cities. The elementary school librarian uh, failed me after a certain time. Books just weren't detailed enough. Like when you want to learn about the House of Atreus, boy, you needed uh, resources a little more robust than what an elementary school could give me. I I needed to get into the stuff, you know. So did your mom like drive you oh, sure. then to mom, the university library? Mom and... and grandma, yeah. Yeah, into the Hennepin County, like the main branch. Yeah, wow. to get the real serious books. Like, like if I was going to redo the election of, uh, of uh, let's say, 1844 between Polk and Clay. Yes. And I wanted Clay to win this time. I needed to know how he could do it. Right. Yeah. You got to do that kind of thing justice. A picture book wasn't going to do, wasn't going to pass muster. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of what they had on U.S. presidents at the time. Right. Yeah. You know, for little kids. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. Oh. So do you ever think for any of your future projects that you might do some sort of like U.S. president like kind of mine some of these things that you knew as a kid. It's a good and question. Put it in a. Yeah, it's a good question. I didn't really do that so much. Um, I mined some of my wine knowledge in this book because of the food context, and I'm a kind of a wine fan. Can't afford to be a connoisseur. I'm a fan, and <laughs> nice I'm always distinction. Yeah, I'm always looking for wine under twenty five dollars. It's great. I was looking for a good daily drinker. <laughs> um, 
And I'll ask a- you about box wine off mic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you'll share box wine off mic. Okay. Um, but uh, baseball obsession, yeah, baseball hasn't really broken in. Presidents, no, yeah, no, a lot of these childhood obsessions, even though I still have realms of knowledge inside my head that occasionally um, have quarter during bar trivia or obscure uh, conversational tangents, I yeah, I don't often think about them. I still love reading about U.S. presidents, though. I think Robert A. Caro's series on LBJ is you know, one of my favorite book series ever. I mean, Robert, oh, a, Robert oh. A. Caro is my George R. R. Martin, I'll tell you that. Oh. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, Master of the Scent in particular is a work of genius. But, um, yeah, in terms of now, I just feel like, oh, whatever strikes me. I think right now I'm really interested in writing a, about the Midwest still. I'm really obsessed with it. And when I wake up, I feel like that's where my heart is. And that's what I want to write about. And are the characters, have a character come to you? Oh, yeah, a few. Yeah, for the next book. Yeah, I'm 80 pages into it. Yeah. I started writing it in March. And um, yeah, yeah, there are characters that are very alive for me already. I think about them every day. And I can't wait to spend more time with them. Thank you so much for spending some time here today, Jay Ryan. I appreciate it. It's Oh, you're welcome. This was a this was a riot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, cool. I, I love being here. See see you on your paperback tour maybe. Oh, I okay. hope so. I hope so. And so, congratulations on your 10-year anniversary. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. You've got heart. Oh, Jay Ryan Straddle everybody. His novel Kitchens of the Great Midwest. I'm T Hetzel. Until next time. at 7. You might need to face the music with Washtenaw County's longest-running all-purpose specialty show. Face the music, utilizing cultural residue as a cipher in order to unlock, subvert, and redefine the mysteries of the human genome. Face the music, Thursday nights at 7 on WCBN-FM. Ann Arbor's community-connected, student-run, experimental, experiential alternative, 88.3 centimeters.
Ocho y ochenta y ocho punto tres centímetros. Yes, it's WCBN FM Ann Arbor, and it's time for La Explosión Banda. Pasaba rogando a María que formara parte de mi vida, pero ella se hacía del rogar, del rogar, del rogar, y me volvía a lastimar, a lastimar, a lastimar mi corazón que la quería. Me animé a robarle un beso a la María pensando lo que se enojaría que esa pesa me lleve, me lleve, me lleve cuando me dijo que jamás, que jamás, que jamás ella de mí se alejaría. María, lo que no quería, que andaba. La mula, pero ya sabía que era mío Y a tu corazón, corazón, corazón Y que algún día tú me lo darías Me pasaba rogando a María que formara Me a robarle un beso a la María pensando lo que se enojaría que sorpresa me lleve, me lleve. Me 